Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Good Fight Podcast. My name's Andrew. And I'm Simon. Um, it's so glad that you've you've joined us. Um, and we just want to thank everyone who's listened to the last week's episode specifically, and we want to thank you for the feedback that you've given us. Um, and we really appreciate it, and we're we're going to try and uh, implement it into into what we do. Um, I hope you've actually enjoyed the last week in terms of weather. It's actually been incredible. Um, I hope the farmer town has been topped up, and I hope you haven't heard much of this phrase being said. I hope this isn't our summer, um, and it's disappointing, but uh, it's the truth that I actually this slipped my mouth. Um, this is the most middle-aged woman thing I think I've ever I've ever said, um, and my mum was very disappointed in me. But with all this chat about tans and time outside, Andrew, I think I'm becoming a bit of a, a bit of a culture. <laughs> and as they'd say, are you well? For you're looking well. I buy. Not, not, not too bad now, I have to say. <laughs> um, I have managed um, actually this week to get word on a new TV series um, called The Chosen. And I honestly could not recommend it any higher um, it is honestly incredible. I, it was so good, in fact, that I binge-watched all the episodes with not a single regret. It was honestly incredible. It's amazing, Ver. I haven't finished it completely. I've watched the first few episodes. I watched one uh, yesterday, and it's ridiculously good. Um, and rumor has it they're free on YouTube. Is this true? I know, exactly. I mean, you need to hurry up and watch them so I don't have to try and like bite my tongue with all these spoilers in front of whole thing. <laughs> Although, to be fair, the Bible does give a few away, to be fair. Um, so what about yourself? Are your, all your limbs still attached after your stint as a lumberjack from last week? <laughs> come as no surprise that my dad has, hasn't given uh, me any more time with the, with the chainsaw. Um, you will not be surprised at all. No way. No <laughs> but I was, I was studying the other day and um, I was flicking a, a page and got a paper cut <laughs> on my finger and it was very sore. Um, so my limbs are intact, absolutely, but they're a wee bit sore. Um, and then what I've been doing recently... I have been trying to forget that we're housebound and I'm trying to remember or trying to imagine that we're, we're free completely. Um, so I ordered a, a tent on the internet a few weeks ago, a two-man tent, um, because I wanted this to be a summer of camping, um, but obviously we can't go very far. So I popped it up in the garden and for the last couple of nights I have just been camping alone. It's quite sad, but <laughs> um, I've had a great time. Well, so much for last week then, when you were saying to our viewers that you weren't much of a tree hugger. Were you not telling them the truth? That's what's going on. Things are changing. I think I'm actually, I might join the Green Party now. <laughs> so our challenge last week um, was to do complete a backflip. How have you been successful? Um, well, maybe successful needs to um, be defined. Um, it's sort of been, it's been quite interesting to be fair. Um, I think maybe for, for next week's challenge, if we do a front flip, Instead, just to try and sort of fix this creek that I seem to have gotten in my neck. <laughs> so the method that we we were both trying was to start with a cartwheel, and then to do a sideward sideways cartwheel, and then a backwards cartwheel. There's probably more gymnastic terms for that, and then to go into a backflip. Um, I've gone into the backwards cartwheel, um, but the other day, yesterday, <laughs> I was like on the ground, and then I looked to my side and saw my neighbour. Dropped, he dropped everything that he was doing in his, the middle of his garden, looking through the opening of our um, of our fence. Uh, he was just watching uh, me doing, probably just laughing at the fact that I was rolling about the garden. I looked like quite a fool. So I would like, I think, another week for this challenge. I would like that. Very good. Um, so I guess it's my turn for the 
um, to think of a challenge now for this week. Um, I'm going to go for this one um, called, well, or I've called it anyway, uh, the putting on a t-shirt challenge. Ooh. And you may be thinking, Andrew, that's stupid. I do that every day as soon as I get up. Well, slightly little bit different, a little bit more complicated this one. This is where you've got to get your t-shirt or jumper. If you fancy putting a jumper, you can do it, the jumper challenge if you want, and have it set in, um, flat on the ground. And then you've got to get your feet on the wall up until like a handstand sort of position and sort of have your face away from the wall and then try and work your t-shirt onto yourself whilst keeping your feet up against the wall. If you're not sure, I'm sure there's probably some clips on YouTube or something to give you some rough ideas, but that's going to be my challenge for this week. Have you tried this before, Andrew? No, but I've saw people doing it and I just thought, do you know what? I, I think I could do it. I think it'd be workable. So this will be a test for me to see if it's if it's possible or not. But still, I genuinely want to do that <laughs> this morning. <laughs> So our next part is to go into the Sammy Sam. Um, and I'm so excited to share this Sam. Um, it's Sam 51. It's really dear to my heart. And um, yeah, so wherever you are, if you're walking, if you're uh, in your living room, take a seat or to or enjoy a gentle stroll uh, while you uh, listen to God's word. So this is Sam 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt um, offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good in Zion, in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thanks very much, Mia. It's definitely uh, one of my favorite psalms as well, and I sort of love verse 7 as well, especially, that says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow, and just how truth that really is. It's a good one, yeah. Um, and it's obviously it's written by um, King David um, when he was repenting from all of his sin, um, from sleeping with Bathsheba, um, and leading to the death of Uriah, and there's so many other things as well um, that was happening, just this sort of web of sin that was sort of around him at that time. 
But appropriately, today's episode is about the, the sort of precursor to sin. It's temptation. And we're going to talk all about temptation today. Um, and I suppose it's something that every single Christian listen to this that we face every single day. And so it's so important that we are able to deal with it well uh, and to, to fight the good fight, uh, so to speak. Um, and we know that the book of James, um, as you've heard us talking about before, it's about maturing to a wholehearted devotion to Christ. And so fighting temptation in our life is vital as we grow to see Christ as better than all. So today's reading from James is just going to be two verses, verses 13 and 14. And please feel free, sit back, relax, open up in God's word for yourself, or sit back and listen to the soothing Ulster accents. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So we're going to focus on the very first verse, and I'll just reread it again. The very first verse, verse 13 says, Let no one, when he is tempted, let no one, I'll say it again, <laughs> let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So I suppose a very common question to come from this is, what is temptation? I mean, I think that's a fair question to, to start things off, I suppose, in the podcast. Um, and for any of the OG listeners, some of the originals, um, this is a bit of a throwback to sort of episode one, where we compared the difference between a trial and a temptation. So to test your memory, Simon Wilson, to see if you're awake and ready for this, what's a, what's a temptation? Seeing I have just rolled out of bed, I don't know if I'll be able to remember off the top of my head, but praise the Lord that we had written down what we had said for episode one. Um, and this is what we said. Um, so temptation, what you're saying is that temptation is not the same as sin. Um, but what it is, it is an internal thoughts of the mind or the heart to sin. And so in the moment of temptation, we have a choice, okay? So we have a choice, number one, to satisfy our flesh, our desire, and to actually sin. Or we could submit to God and deny ourselves. That's the choice we have in every moment in temptation. And we knew that temptation has been about since the day dots. And it's been about since the Garden of Eden. And as we've said already, every Christian will face many temptations a day. Um, and this this verse we re- reminds us the word when. Um, let no one say when he is tempted. It's, a, it's to be expected. There's a certainty about temptation. So let us not be surprised when we're tempted. And I want to finish with this. Andrew, you shared this with me. And it's an amazing quote. It's by uh, Warren Wearsby. And it says, temptation is an opportunity to satisfy a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. It's an impatience. And so my question to you, Andrew, is what or who is the source of temptation? Well, the James tells us that clearly that it's not God that tempts us. Um, it says clearly in verse 13, he tempts no one. So we know it's not God that um, is the source of temptation. So as a judge in a courtroom, we're going to look at the case um, with the most evidence first. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at two of the most documented um, occurrences of temptation in the Bible. There are there are plenty, but we're only going to focus on the two of them. So without further ado, this court is now in session. The crazy wigs are on the head and the gavel is ready to get pounded. So let's get started. 
I definitely need a, a crazy wig to, to cover my bad hair, <laughs> haircut. Um, I'm, I'm very happy about that. So the very first case that we're going to talk about is the very first temptation. I think it's a great place to start. Um, it's obviously when Eve was being t- tempted by the serpent. But even just like, what's, like my first question is, that serpent, who who is that serpent? Well, it's definitely a very relevant question to ask. Um, the sort of passage in scripture that reveals um, who that serpent is, is found in Revelation 12. And it says in a few of these verses, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, so there's the mention, and we read on a couple, little bit more, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So we know that this, this serpent is the devil himself, the person who was doing the tempting. So to set the scene, so to speak, we are in the, all the way back to the start in Genesis. We're in the Garden of Eden. God has created the whole world. He has given Adam and Eve. He's created the both of them. They've been given their roles and responsibilities. They have got all this sustenance, literally everything they could have possibly imagined for. But God gives them one thing to do. It says there in Genesis 2, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And you think up until this point, everything's going great, everything's fantastic. But then the temptation comes, we read in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And the devil came in, and the very first temptation started there, in that Garden of Eden. Hmm. So we can learn three things from this. Um, I suppose when, when, you, when it boils down, temptation is basically the devil attacks God's word and God's nature. It's kind of the, the the overarching theme. And we're going to look at three aspects of this. So the very first aspect is um, from this specific example that the devil is challenging Eve's knowledge of God's word. The knowledge of God's word. And it says in the very first verse of Genesis 3, and this is the words of, of, the, of the snake, of the serpent, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He's challenging her knowledge of God's word. And not only that, then the devil tries to challenge her belief of God's word. That's the next thing he tries. He tries to challenge her belief in God's word. He says, you shall not surely die. Did God really mean death? He wasn't being serious there. Come on. You couldn't have thought he was being serious about that. No, you'll be fine. And then the third and final tactic he employs is that the devil, he finally challenges Eve's view of God's character. And he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, this is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. um, When you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so he was implying that God was hiding something from them. God was pulling the wool over their eyes, so to speak. The devil likes to tempt us away from God's ways and his promises, and he wants us to rebel against them. So what we're going to do is we're going to now and try and apply these three different things that we've looked at from the um, account in Genesis and how our dealings with temptation then can result from that. So, numero uno. (laughs) The necessity of knowing God's word. So word by word, 
Because in the midst of temptation, it's very easy to forget the words of God. When we're being tempted, we don't always have a Bible at hand or in all honesty want to turn to the Bible because in that moment we are following the devil's lie that this sin will satisfy us. And so it's vital to have the word fresh in our minds. So there's such a need for us to be regularly reading and memorizing his word. And it, it does it seems so biblical um, to have a daily quiet time, a daily um, alone time with God where we're getting saturated by these truths uh, and then we're applying them to the rest of the day. So not only is there the necessity of knowing the word of God, but also our second point is to believe in God's word. I mean, you can have memorized all 66 books of the Bible if you want, but if, if you don't believe it, then it's not going to be much good for you. When we do study his word, it's so important to look at the surrounding verses to get the context so we truly know what God's word is saying. So we're not interpreting the verse in the wrong way. I suppose there's no point in believing a random truth that we've just squeezed out of the word. It's vital that we get it from God and that before studying his word, we should pray that the Holy Spirit will help us in understanding and enlightening God's word. Hmm. So the first one was that we should know God's word. The second one is that we should believe God's word. And then the final one is that we should know and trust God's character. God wants the best for us and we need to, we need to know that and to trust that. Importantly, we learn to trust him more when we have fellowship with him, when we go through life with him, and when we are tried and there's different situations to try our faith. But it takes time. We also need to know about his laws and we need to have consideration for his laws and his commands. And they're not to keep us from something, but in reality, they're the framework that helps us to flourish and to keep us safe from evil. We live in a society that believes rules are only there to prohibit us and to limit us. Well, some people would then say to that question, why would you bother following this God? Like, clearly it's just rule after rule after rule after regulation. Like, how is that any fun at all to live a life like that? Imagine there's two trees. <laughs> and I know you made fun of me for being a tree hugger, but I actually think I'm becoming one. <laughs> So my question to you, Andrew, is which tree is better off? So there's two trees, okay? So one on your left has been attached by a crane. It's been pulled out of the out of the ground, and its roots are free and blowing in the air. That's tree number one. And then tree number two is a tree that you can't see its roots. It's covered by soil. Um, it's sort of limited by the soil. So which one is more, which one's better off, I suppose? Well, I'd say that's quite an easy one. I'd say the, the tree that was limited by the soil and is able to to grow and able to, to flourish in that environment. Exactly. So this is kind of, it's a very simple analogy to remind us that limitations aren't always bad and laws and commands aren't always bad. Um, that's why God gave us the 10 commandments, for example, because he, he wants to, uh, to help us. He wants to keep us from evil as well. Um, and so let us gladly as Christians declare the verse of Psalm 1, 2. This is talking about the righteous man. It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So now we're going to move on to our second court case. The first one isn't closed or concluded. I'm sure you can have your own study in there because there's definitely plenty of mortress in there to, um, to seek out. But we're now going to go to our second court case, and this is an example from the New Testament, where the source of temptation himself, which we have learned now, that is the devil, this time tries his tricks on the Lord Jesus himself you will find that the tactics he uses are very similar to the ones that he tried with Eve in the garden. And we're looking at the account um, in Luke 4, but you can read Luke 4 or go to Matthew 4 as well. That's up to yourselves.
upgrades. So we learned three tactics um, the greater the great tempter deploys on Jesus. The first one that he goes for is he tries to get um, the Lord Jesus himself to not be relying on the Father's provision. I'm sure many of you know the story that um, when he was tempted, he was led out um, into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. Uh, the devil maybe saw this as an opportunity to attack Jesus and his reliance on the Father. Maybe the devil saw that God was weak because he had became flesh. And the first temptation he throws at him is he tempts Jesus to make a stone into a piece of bread to satisfy his hunger. Wait, what? So, of course, Jesus had the power to do this. But why would this be sinful? Surely he was hungry and surely he could just do this. Well, because as he was the son of God, he was to fully rely on his father's provision and not be impatient over his own needs. And Jesus' reply um, gives us a little bit of insight into this, doesn't it, Simon? Yeah, okay. So what he does say, he's quoting from a verse in Deuteronomy, so quoting from the Old Testament, and he says this sort of well-known verse, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So Jesus was relying on the promises of his Father to fully provide for him, and so did not sin. Just as Jesus was tempted to turn stones into bread, the devil himself tempts us to question God's provision. How often daily are we we just keep slipping back into self-sufficiency and, and not trusting him wholeheartedly with all aspects of our life? Podcast wouldn't be complete without the odd quote from C.S. Lewis, and it's, a, it's one that um, both Simon and myself really enjoy. It says, relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing had yet been done. I'll say it again. Relying on God has to begin all over again, every day, as if nothing had yet been done. The second point is from uh, the second temptation, and it says to take the easy way. So all the way back in the Garden of Eden, Adam forfeited his temporary lease of the kingdoms of this world. So God had given him some control and some responsibility in this world, and he had forfeited that to the devil at the fall. And that's why the devil sneeringly said in the second temptation, to you I will give all the authority and all the glory of these kingdoms, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will, if you then will worship me. It will all be yours, is what he says. The devil was offering Jesus an alternative to the cross. He was saying, bow down to me, and I will give you these people. You don't have to suffer, you don't have to be mocked, and you definitely don't have to die on a cross to get these people, to redeem these people. Well, we know in the story, of course, that um, Jesus himself didn't fall to any of the temptations, but hypothetically, if Jesus did bow to the devil here, what would have been the, the knock-on effect, or what would have been the, the consequences as a result of it? It's good, definitely good to think about. I suppose if Jesus bowed down, which praise, praise God that he didn't, if Jesus did bow down, Jesus would be rejecting the Father's will for redemption. And he'd be rejecting God's plan for him to suffer, bleed and die. And that means that sin, death, those would still reign. They wouldn't be dealt with. And so in the Christian life, there would be absolutely no hope. There would be no hope of resurrection, no hope of a new heaven or a new earth, no actual purpose in life. It would all be pointless. Absolutely. And you think of how he had gone 40 days without eating and 
all these things that you've just mentioned and the stakes just couldn't have been any higher. But at the same time, the sinless, spotless, perfect Lamb of God wasn't tempted in any way. As God, as James says, God cannot be tempted with evil. So Jesus replies then, again quoting from Deuteronomy, and he says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you worship. So to summarize the second temptation, the devil wants us to take the easy way. He wants us to take the shortcut and not wait for God's timing. He wants us to avoid any kind of suffering in the Christian life and not to take up our cross daily. But we should trust God's will and trust God's timing. But this will mean to live out this beautiful but pretty solemn verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. And it says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And it's it's important because we don't often see it as light or momentary, but in the grand scheme of eternity, that's exactly what it is. Uh, and so we should like, fixate our eyes on eternity. And that puts everything into perspective. So the first tactic he used was to get Jesus to not rely on the Father's provision. Then the second one was for him to try and take the easy way instead of going to the cross. And the final one he uses is he tries to get Jesus to test God. The devil took him to the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. Yeah. So Satan was using God's word to try and tempt Jesus. Does that sound familiar? He was saying, don't worry, go ahead and test God. God's word says that he will protect you. You have nothing to worry about. He was trying to tempt Jesus to test God's protection. However, Jesus quotes again from scripture from Deuteronomy 6.16 to respond, where it says, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What does that mean, to put the Lord your God to the test? Well, I think quite simply it means that um, to test God means to put yourself in a situation where God has to perform a miracle to rescue you because you're outside of his will. He was also getting Jesus to live by chance and not by faith. If we are in the will of God and walking by faith, then we will have God's provision and protection. The devil tries to get us to test God's faithfulness and see if he really keeps his word, to try and get us to misinterpret scripture like he did and then try and use that against us. Hmm. That just shows how vital it is to truly know God's word. Uh, so we can't be tricked um, when the devil uses God's word to tempt us and to live by faith and trust him, that word again, wholeheartedly. So in the temptations of Jesus, we notice they are similar to the fiery darts Satan tries to throw at us. So what lessons can we take from it? Well, the first one we could take is the devil often tempts us when we are physically weak. May this be tired or hungry or we're stressed. That's when we are more vulnerable to give in to temptation. For example, to cut down our friend or family uh, when we're feeling stressed. <laughs> or to be impatient or hangry with the family um, when that Domino's delivery is taking us down. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely a tough one to try and to try and get through. It's good in these times to be hyper vigilant of our vulnerability, and especially in these times. But also to know and rejoice in this that Jesus was perfect, despite not having eaten for forty days 
Can you truly imagine what that was like? He was victorious and we can enjoy his victory in our lives as Christians. The second lesson that we can take from the temptations of Jesus is that we should follow his example and be able to, to quote scripture in the moment of temptation. So personally, um, I love the verse in James chapter 4, verse 7. And it's been a truth that I've needed in those moments so much. It says the following, and the truth within is amazing. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And what that means is just to bow down before him and to realize that his way is better than your way. His way is better than the devil's way. Submit, bow down. And the next bit is to resist the devil and he will flee from you. This reminds us that the, the God is mightier than the devil and that Jesus has conquered the devil. Our final point from this one is that as Christians, we should be people of integrity. And that essentially is, is to do the right thing, even when no one is around us. Sometimes it's so much easier to do the right thing when we have this group of people that we're around that we want to impress them and, and, and do all these things. But when we're on our own, we can often sometimes get the thoughts of, oh, sure, no one's going to know, or no one's going to see it. You'll be able to get away with it. But yet Jesus knew his father was watching and he wanted to honor him by his every thought and action. And so should we in these times of temptation. I just want to share one thing here. And it's, I think we so often have the wrong mindset and things. Um, as Christians, I suppose we are not fighting for victory, but instead we are fighting from victory because we are in Christ. So we're going to have a look at the verse 14 here which says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So we'll try and sort of roughly break it down here. But each person, so that covers you and me, tempted, and I hope we've at least maybe scratched the surface, hopefully, of, of what we've been talking about for the last wee while. And the two words there at the end are lured and enticed. You could say that lured and in many of the other translations is to draw away, to draw us away from God. And then there's the enticing, which seems to mean to attract towards something. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And so it's, it's our own desire that takes us from God and takes us towards sin. And we're not always the originator of our thoughts, and that's important for us to remember, but we do have um, somewhat control over our thoughts and what stays in our mind. Um, John Piper famously talks about the five-second rule. When a thought comes into our, our head, uh, into our mind, that is contrary to God, we got to squash it. and we got to remind ourselves of the power of the cross and the victory of the resurrection. Therefore, the ultimate remedy when fighting temptation is, is to have this mindset or to see this, that Jesus is so much more attractive. He is so much more wonderful and more satisfying than anything in this world could truly offer. And that's not easy. You know, that takes time, but that truly should be our mindset and our state of mind. And it can be so helpful, especially in times of temptation. I think this can be summarized in the words of the hymn written by Helen Lamel. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I don't think that could have summed it up pretty any in any better way, to be fair. <laughs>
Uh, we just want to say before we close, often it appears that we are losing our battle against temptation and sin, but Christ has won the war for us. He has given us the same resources that he used in overcoming the devil there in the wilderness with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the inspired word of God, and the interceding Son of God. We have all of these. When Jesus was tempted, he allowed himself to be guided by the Holy Spirit. He used the word of God to combat Satan's arguments. He quoted from the scriptures and then applied them with fantastic skill and wisdom. And because he endured every temptation we face, Jesus Christ knows exactly how we feel. He is our sympathetic high priest and is constantly interceding on our behalf. Friend, put on your spiritual armour and allow him to give you the victory that has already been won. So thank you so much, guys, for joining us for episode five of the Good Fight podcast. Uh, again, as always, please comment, share, uh, and send some feedback our way um, about how you find this episode. Um, so next week, we are going to go through um, verses 15 to 18 of chapter one. Um, but in the next week, happy isolation and God bless.